Right, well, good morning, everybody. Sorry, that video always goes just that little bit quicker than I expect, <laughs> so forgive me. Uh, what a great day yesterday. Um, and, and I've got to tell you, I mean, those of you that know me well enough know that they'll be for different reasons. It, I mean, it was great that we won the rugby. I'm, I'm a man and I enjoy competition, maybe more than I should. So I do like it that we won. But, but I really do think, for those of you that have been around long enough, that it did, uh, it did show something different, something that has changed in 24 years. And, and it was also great to see the people celebrating in the streets that looked a bit different to 24 years ago. Um, and, and like Sue said, to actually have our captain, who I think is a very humble man, um, and who is, as Sue says, a, a clearly, strongly professing Christian, um, to actually, uh, so, so for me, actually, the, most, the, the greatest part of the day yesterday was his speech. For those of you that, that watched long enough, I, like, I, was, I was meant to go somewhere else. I was raptured. I, was, I kept like, just basking in the fact that there's a little bit of hope, that someone's positive. Um, and I know that it's easy for us to, to want to pay a lot of attention, which is understandable, to, to the challenges and the problems. But if you, if you look around long enough and hard enough, there is plenty for us to celebrate. Um, and I think we've got to be very, very careful, uh, the voices that we listen to, or, or, or at least, or at least the, the volume that we give to it. Um, so it's not that things aren't true sometimes. It's not, it's not that, that some of the facts are incorrect. It's just that sometimes they're amplified. And I, and I really, I'm just telling you, honestly, without trying to be positive, I honestly do believe that there's a lot more hope and a lot more to be positive about and optimistic about than, than, than what I think the news uh, tries to uh, indicate. And so I really do think that yesterday was significant. 95 was a big deal. I was hugging and kissing men that I didn't expect to hug and kiss. But, um, but yesterday, but yesterday uh, it was, it was for, it, there was just something different. It was for different reasons. And so I really am, uh, I'm very grateful about that. And I don't know, um, it sounds like that was the Glover Children's Choir singing in the background. Is that right? For those that didn't, that didn't watch or have, I don't know who, who the Glover Children's Choir are, they, they got into the finals of America's Got Talent. And again, what a story of hope. Uh, what a story of, of, of optimism and where, and I mean, just from their own words, where you come from, St. Limpopo, you know, and, and most of them come from uh, significant poverty, that it doesn't have to define you and your future. So guys, I'm just telling you, there's stuff to be optimistic about just, just, just right in front of us. Yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get too distracted. Last week I got a little bit distracted and got through my introduction and my first point. So I want to make sure that I, that I try and finish off what I started next week. I told Josh he wasn't here, so I might have to start from the beginning if he has an hour and a half. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to do that. So, so we are in a series on joy. Uh, we've entitled it Choose Joy. And even though that might sound um, simple or simplistic uh, to some and to others, it might even sound a little bit patronizing. Um, we don't we don't mean that as in choose joy like hey just snap out of it hey just 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 flick a finger and be happy this is way 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 deeper than happiness and it's not so much about one choice I do however believe that it is about hundreds if not thousands of little choices little consistent choices and so just to recap very briefly the point we're trying to make last week is that joy is spiritual it's not circumstantial um, there's, there's something deeper. It's not just about circumstances. It's, it's actually because of a relationship that we have with God. And so it goes way deeper than an emotion. It's about a knowing. It's an, it's an anchor in the storm. And so the, one of the verses that we started off with is Philippians 4 verse 4, where Paul, who had moral authority to talk about uh, joy, he, he's writing from a prison. And he says in Philippians 4 verse 4, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Paul, Paul was making this point that joy is found in a person, 
not perfect circumstances. Now, now God may lead you to a different environment and to different circumstances. He may even lead you to a different country. Um, but I want to say that joy is not going to be found in a country and it's not going to be found in different circumstances. It's going to be found in a person. And when we find it in the person, then when you are wherever God wants you to be and whatever your circumstances, you know, whatever he wants, then they're, they're a bonus. They're, they're a blessing. But it's, ama- it's amazing how many Christians, and I say that word in the commas, so how many believers live exactly the same as unbelievers? So where the level of our hope is pretty much on par with the level of hope of someone who doesn't believe in God. Um, and so it really, and so that's where, you know, you even come up with the concept of Christian atheists. So where we kind of profess one thing, but live another thing. And I'm just saying that when we realize that actually joy is to be found in a person, in a relationship, then slowly but surely, it's amazing how regardless of the circumstances, regardless of challenges, regardless of the storm, we, we really do get to enjoy this, this deep joy and peace that goes beyond human reasoning. It, it, it doesn't make sense. And so that's why those closest to you might think like, are you on drugs? Are you delusional? Are you in denial? And, and obviously, again, you, you see, because that's what the world thinks if they don't have the person to have the hope in. Well, then there must be something else. Are you escaping somehow? Are you denying? And, and the thing is, I think a Christian should be able to hold these things in tension. A Christian who's in a healthy relationship with God should be able to hold the, the facts in tension with the truth. So these are challenges. Right now, I have a medical prognosis that, that I don't have a solution to, and we don't know what's going to happen. But I know the one in whom I can have peace regardless. I know right now that this is what the economy is saying, or this is what the job market looks like, or this is, what, this is, this is the lack of an increase that, I, that I'm But I know the one who actually does provide and who does take care of me. And so, and so we're, we're able to hold these things in tension. A Christian shouldn't be in denial and look like a weirdo, but we should be able to actually have a supernatural confidence that puts a genuine, genuine faith in God. I, I would go so far as to say, I don't think that joy is really a gift. Although sometimes God may give you a, like a momentary gift of joy. Joy, the Bible says, is more actually a fruit. So that's why we say choose joy. So a gift would be something that's out of our control, supernatural, like boom. And, and some of you have personalities where it looks like you have the gift of joy because you just always seem to be happy and like, whoa, no matter what, you know. Um, but, but, but for the average person, it's way, more, it's, it's way deeper than that. And so stop waiting for the gift of joy. Start allowing the fruit of joy to come out in our lives. So in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So the more that I actually give God influence in my life, which can only come through relationship. Okay? Not through church. Not through serving. Not through giving. Those, those things are part of Actually, actually, those things are often a response to the fruit of a relationship with God. And that's why we say that choices lead and feelings follow. And we often quote Craig Rochelle that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And I want to take it a step further and say that joyful people, genuinely joy-filled people do consistently what other people do occasionally. So it's not just because you're a Christian that magically you're going to have joy. No, no. If you are consistently coming into a quiet place with God, where you allow Him to remind you that you are loved before you perform, before you produce, before you get your act together, before, before you, you're ticking all the boxes. No, no. You are loved. 
You are my beloved. If you want to go old English. It changes something. It changes something. And I know sometimes, in, in fact, one of our leaders was telling us recently, like, there's some, one or two people were expressing almost a little bit of frustration. Like, why does the application of every sermon like, be like the Bible and prayer? Because I don't know if there's that much more to add to a relationship, like outside of a relationship with God. I mean, there are, there are little challenges and there's some homework that we can give you from time to time. But I'm saying that outside of a relationship with God, outside of, of actually coming to, to a place where we, where we slow down enough and we tune in enough and we tune out enough of the other stuff that keeps influencing us, that we can actually sense His, His presence, His love. His acceptance. I'm saying outside of that, everything else is just like it's a secondary. We, as we press into God, we will experience the joy that passes understanding. That's why it's one of our, one of our core values as, as a church and, and, and for our dream teams is to love God, love people, pursue excellence, and to choose joy. Because the reality is, I believe if we're not choosing joy, so if we're not pressing into God and allowing Him to produce this fruit in our lives, we're not going to love God, we're not going to love people, and we're not going to pursue excellence for the right reasons. In fact, in fact, your excellence can actually start hurting people. Your determination to love God and love people can actually start to do damage if it's not coming from the right place, right? And that's the difference between responding out of religious obligation, which is a philosophy, it's a system, it's what we do to get to, versus actually responding to, no, he's done it all, and you, what do you mean I'm loved anyway? And, and, and as that melts our hearts, instead of scolding our hearts, we actually respond in those other ways. And so we, we kind of just started last week looking at how one of the key ways to actually choosing joy, to nurturing this joy, is to prioritize prayer. So we talk about the idea of pray first. We've got wristbands that you can buy at the info table where we just keep encouraging ourselves, because I've got to encourage me before I encourage you, to allow prayer to be my first response and not my last resort. My first response and not my last resort. And so we, we, we started the first point of four. I'll get to the other three today. The first one, we just said that prayer replaces worry. And quoted Paul as he goes on to write in Philippians 4 verse 6, where he says, do not worry about anything. And, and for those of you that weren't here last week, I, I, I really did in, I encourage you and I would continue to encourage you. If there's nothing else that you meditate on as far as a truth and as far as a principle for the next week or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight, let it be these, let it just, be, I mean, I would say make it this whole chapter, but if you can't make the whole chapter, then make it these two verses. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. And verse 7, he says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. We're not talking about Bobby McFerrin, where you're smoking ganja on the side, and you're like, don't worry, be happy. We say, no, 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 don't worry about anything. All right, where we worry most is where we trust God the least. Don't, don't worry about anything. Worry borrows from tomorrow. So, so, so we give negative emotion today to something that may or may not happen tomorrow. So he says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need which means to actually leave it at his feet and to walk away. If I've walked away and I still haven't found peace, maybe I haven't left it at his feet, all right? And then he goes on to say, and thank him for all he has done. So I'm saying, like, even if you can't do verse six and seven, just meditate on verse six. Is that easy? Okay. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Thank God for what he's done. 
Because then it says, verse 7, oh, and, and we spoke about gratitude goggles, by the way. So we said, like, if, if we put on a different set of lenses, if we put on a, a different perspective, we'll have a picture on it in a moment, that kind of reminds us to actually see things through a different point of view, right? I love this picture, so we're going to keep using it from time to time. I love that face. Like, ooh, like, like it changes everything, right? When, when we practice gratitude, when we are sincerely thanking God, I'm not talking about having an Oprah moment. I'm talking about having a godly moment, okay, where I'm, where I'm genuinely stopping and remembering what God has done. For many of us, just that alone will change our relationship with God. It'll help us dig ourselves out of that pit just a little bit. We thank Him for what He has done. Then verse 7 tells us, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. What an incredible promise. What an incredible consequence to a committed choice. And even there, that's where you see the choices lead and feelings follow. So I choose not to worry, to pray, and to thank Him. Oh, and then feelings follow I will experience peace that passes understanding. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds. So it's, it's, it's not just our thoughts, it's our hearts, our, our emotions. So prayer replaces worry. Secondly, all right, we, we're moving on today. We are going to finish this. Prayer renews our minds. It renews our minds. It actually changes the way we think, but... But, 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 don't miss, don't miss the how. Because I think, again, sometimes we hear so many things and think, okay, well, I'm going to pray. My mind hasn't changed. I still feel negative. And that's why I love that Paul goes on in verse 8 to say, Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. And then he goes on to say, on whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And the idea is that we are formed by what we fix our minds and our hearts on. We are formed by what we fix our minds and our hearts on. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because sometimes, sometimes I think we, sometimes I think that Christians can be superstitious. Right? It's like, okay, okay, I better read the Bible, so let me read the Bible. And it's like, okay. Like, why hasn't anything changed? Right? Or, or, maybe, or maybe you haven't had a revelation, and so tithing is like, where's this open heaven thing? Where's this open the gates? The storerooms of heaven. Like, I'm, I've still got debt. I've still got problems. And, and, we, and we sometimes cease to appreciate the process and the timing and that, and that often it's a part of a bigger picture. So even, so even, so even this idea of, of, of meditating on or fixing our thoughts onto what is true and good and lovely and admirable and worthy of praise, I'm saying that there's a difference between me just reading the Bible, for example, and me actually reflecting on the Bible. And I think that something shifts when we slow down and pray and respond and talk to God and meditate on God. Okay, so what is, what is praiseworthy? What is lovely? God, what am I fixing my mind to? What am I, what am I fixing my heart on? 
And so there's something that changes. We give God the opportunity to, to affect change in our lives when we, when we don't just read, but we actually start out and we pray and we, and we look at what we're fixing, our thoughts and our, our hearts too. See, we may not realize it, but we are being formed by something. You may not realize it, but you have spiritual disciplines. You may just not know it, and you may not call it that. So I could, I could spend a life, I could spend my life in such a way that I'm being formed by social media, or I'm being formed by the news, or I'm being formed by Hollywood, or Bollywood, just to be fair. I, I, I could be formed, or Nollywood even, hey? anyway, I don't know, I don't know all the, all the, all the woods. Whatever I allow, so, so wherever I give my attention and my affection, that's going to form me. We don't realize it, but sometimes we are bowing at the temple of a smartphone. We're going to look at this a lot more in the future, but, but I was reading a stat just the other day. Now, I, I mean, I trust the guy that wrote it in the book, so I'm assuming he's based this on some kind of fact, but that the average iPhone user, I don't know, they obviously, I think because iPhone's got this screen touch thing, whatever you call it. Screen time. That the average iPhone users, user touches their phone 2,700 and something times a day. And you just ask the question, like, what would it look like for a person's mind and heart to be touched by Jesus? Like even 1% of that. What is 1%? 27 times. Thank you, Jason. Can, so, so jokes aside, think about it. Imagine if your mind and your heart were touched by God 27 times a day. Just briefly. Just briefly. And again, you see, I think that's where if we're not careful, we can almost be superstitious. Well, well I had my five minutes in the morning or my 10 minutes in the morning, or my 15 minutes in the morning. Like, like, why hasn't this magically sprinkled pixie dust on the rest of my day? Because, because I am fixing my mind on a whole bunch of other garbage the rest of the day as opposed to just, just having moments. And they don't have to be long, lengthy, kumbaya moments. I just mean moments. Just moments. But I'm just allowing God just to touch my mind again, to touch my heart again. If we're not experiencing peace, if we're not experiencing joy, and if we believe that it is a fruit, if we're not experiencing it, then with, with all the love that I can muster up, and I mean this, I mean this, with the, with the most sincere of hearts, we have to look at the root. We have to look at where we're planted. We have to look at the soil that we are planting our roots into. Now, we, you're going to go through seasons. You're going to go through wildernesses. You're going to go through winters. You're going to go through droughts. But still, what am I, where am I planting myself in my own personal capacity? Because wherever our roots are planted, that's, it's out of that soil that we're going to actually produce Fruit. One of the one of the prayers, just just like one of the short verses that I've just been trying to pray more regularly. And the reason, don't get freaked out. The reason why I will repeat a prayer like this is because I need to. Sometimes I want to repeat something, repeat a truth, repeat a scripture until I get it. It's, it's not. I'm not trying to be. I don't believe that the more times I repeat it, the more powerful it is. I'm saying that I'm. I'm saying I need to actually start getting it. So. Just the last couple of days even, Psalms 19, 14 talks about how may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. So the other night, literally, I just, I pray about 20 times. I'm just lying in bed, just saying, God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart, may the words, and I'll even touch my, God, may the words of my mouth, 
God, may the words of my mouth, may, may the meditation of my heart. Then I start thinking, okay, well, heart, you know, okay, actually, okay, in my mind. Like, God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, I mean heart and mind, heart, you know. And, and until I'm saying, God, like, redirect where I'm fixing my mind and my heart. You know what's interesting is that, is that so, so for example, this happened Friday, morning, Friday night. Yesterday morning, I woke, I woke up saying, may the words of my mouth. Now, just so you know, I don't, I don't wake up like a Christian a lot, like a lot of the time. Okay? Sometimes I've got, to, I've got to become a Christian again in the morning. I don't always feel that great. Anyone relate? Okay. Three honest people. The rest of you are lying. Anyway. Um, so, so I'm just saying that was, that was positive for me because I'm going to bed meditating on one thing. I'm going to sleep meditating on one thing. I want to wake up, med- I want to wake up with my heart. Anyway, I- I'm hoping this makes sense to you. Number three, prayer strengthens contentment. Prayer strengthens contentment. And if we're honest, that's actually what we're looking for a lot of the time. He goes on in verse 11 and 12 to say, not that, I've, not that I was ever in need. By the way, he's in prison. So, so cynics are going to say, liar. He's like, nope. I've learned. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I don't think that's easy. And I don't think that's just through sheer willpower. That's through revelation. That's through relationship. I know how to live on almost nothing. By the way, contentment also means I can live on everything. So it's possible to be privileged, blessed, wealthy, and content, which means that I'm holding on to stuff loosely. And it also means that I can have nothing or very little, and, and I'm not bitter, I'm not twisted, I'm not a victim, I, I'm actually, I'm trusting God. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. For others of us, we may need to meditate on this verse for the next few weeks. I've learned a secret, the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Doesn't that just just whet your appetite a little bit? Or as Martin would say, wetten. Doesn't it? Hey, it's like, God, yes, I want that. I want to stop chasing my tail. I want to stop stop waiting for the next achievement and the next increase and the next job opportunity or the next boyfriend or the next spouse or the, you know. No, no, God, help help me to actually. Yeah, yeah, I did say that. I'll mean to be content. <laughs> Love the one you're with. We, we think if we can change the person, it'll change. God says, no, no, if you change, it'll change. Obviously, there are plenty of challenges and exceptions. I'm saying, in, guys, the first person I've got to look at is me. God, where's my heart at? I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's actually one of the devotionals that's at the bottom of our version notes. God has an ultimate goal in mind for your time in the secret place. The secret place, solitude, stillness, slowing down. To make heaven and all its treasures more substantial to you than the world and its fool's gold. When the reality of heaven weighs truly on our hearts, we live differently. So that means when I'm not living differently, the reality of heaven is not weighing 
on my heart. And just to encourage you, I often feel like, okay, the reality of heaven is not weighing on my heart right now. Right now, something else is weighing on my heart, and I want to you know, respond in a way that is not good. And that's why we have to keep coming back to the secret place. That's why we don't graduate prayer. We don't graduate a relationship. With, like, you don't get to a point in your life where you're like, okay, I've got a relationship with God. Done. I can relax. Like, this might sound funny, but I remember as a young adult being quite disappointed. Where, where I, I don't know, I, don't know how, I can't explain this to you, but as a child and a, and a teenager, and I think because my nature was always to strive, I kept expecting that somewhere along the line you're going to arrive. Right? Like surely somewhere along the line you can have learned enough, you can have finished university or whatever, and you graduated. It sucked to realize that you don't graduate. What do you mean I have to keep learning? What do you mean I have to keep humbling myself? What do you mean I have to keep forgiving? I have to keep, I have to keep adjusting. Like it was quite a sobering realization. And, and that's why I think it's such, and that's why, by the way, we, we won't have contentment as, as long as we keep living for a destination instead of the journey. And by destination, I don't, I don't mean heaven, because that is our ultimate destination. I mean where we keep living for an achievement, for a milestone, as opposed to, no, no, God, I'm going to actually enjoy the, I'm going to enjoy the journey today. I wonder how many of us can actually, you see, contentment will help you enjoy today. It'll actually even help you enjoy these moments right now. Intimacy, gratitude, not contentment, none of these things can be experienced in a hurry. When we hurry, we skim. We skim the surface. We don't get to actually sink in and enjoy. It's amazing how we will live so much more for the future than, than for the limits, the season, what God has provided for us right now. Patrick Lencioni, who's a best-selling author and business consultant, he's sold millions, millions of copies. His, his books are great. They're very easy to read, by the way. Really, really, really good books. He, I was listening to him say recently, from his own experience, by the way, he was, he, was, he was actually being interviewed and he was talking about his own experience, how people that have been climbing the ladder think they're one or two rungs away from success and finally feeling good enough. So, so they're thinking, I'm, like, like I'm, almost there. I'm, almost, I'm almost at the point where I'm going to feel good enough. And he's saying, I've been there. And it's not what you think. Climb back down and look somewhere else, he argues, that it can only be found in God. He's, he, he, he would interact with and engage on the, on, the, on the largest. In fact, he was actually saying that, that when he speaks to some of these large platforms, um, like those of you that know the Global Leadership Summit, for example, he would speak to, in the region of 70,000 you know, leaders from across the world, um, he says, like, he'll actually, like, it's so, f- he, he, he's saying for himself, he's come to realize it's so, it's so misleading, it's so false for himself if he's going to take any of that on. He's, one of his disciplines is to get off the stage and to as quickly as possible, just, you know, try and find an ordinary kind of like behind the scenes person in the kitchen or behind the media center or something, just to kind of remind himself, this isn't reality. What I've just done, that's not reality. This is, he's like, I'm going back home. My kids, my wife, they, they, they know, I'm, they know who I am. And, and, and he's come to discover that, that just the next success is not going to bring him the contentment that he has to find in God. In fact, interestingly, I mean, he made another comment about addiction. He was just, he was just commenting on, on stuff from, from recovery and the 12 Steps program. And, and, and he, he gave this off-the-cuff definition of how addiction is when you need more and more of something, yet feel less and less happy. So it's not that you're even trying to enjoy it anymore. You're just trying to fight that increasing feeling of desperation, loneliness, and emptiness. And addiction comes in many different forms, by the way. This doesn't have to be a substance. This is where you need more of whatever it is that you think is going to 
meet that need. It could be work. And you keep, and you keep overriding limits and boundaries. Mike Singletary, same story. He, he was the coach for the Chicago Bears, and he played for them. He went to the, to the Super Bowl, and it, was only, and it was only after winning the Super Bowl and realizing that's not enough that he actually landed up going on a journey where he came to God. Some of you may be aware, and I know this one might be a little more controversial, but, but, but have enough grace to believe it's possible, right? Justin Bieber would, wrote a lengthy thing on Instagram a little while ago, kind of confessing and, ex, and expressing regret and, and failures and lessons Learned, and how, and because no one's no one's created to be worshipped, and and from what I understand, it looks like things are slowly but but surely shifting and turning there. I think it was Jim Carrey who said that he wishes that everyone could experience fame and everything that comes with that to know that that's not good enough, that that's never going to meet your deepest need. Some of you, so just to be very clear, I'm not old enough to remember or to have ever watched I Love Lucy, okay? But some of you may know what I Love Lucy was, but I, but I heard this story the other day from, the, from, this, from this program. This was a series before there was series, I guess, where Ricky comes home to find Lucy crawling around the living room on all fours, and when he asks her what she's doing, she explains that she has lost her earrings. You lost your earrings in the living room, Ricky asks. Listen to this. Lucy replies, no, I lost them in the bedroom, but the light is so much better out here. For many of us, we've lost something. And and instead of looking for it in the only place where it can actually be found, we keep looking wherever it seems that the lights are brightest. And I think that God's inviting us. I wish, I wish, in, in fact, Lord, please, would you give us discernment? God, help us. Help us to discern your invitations. Sometimes the very thing that we're hating and despising and, and, and almost cursing heaven about is the, very, is the very form through which God has sent an invitation saying, you've lost something. I'm drawing you. I'm inviting you to come and find rest for your souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. Contentment will also help us to do the right things for the right reason. In fact, I want to take it a step further and say they won't do it for the right reason. We'll do it because of the right relationship. So that's why you may be sitting here today, and those of you that have, that have been around for a while, or maybe you've been in church for many years, and you've been serving, and you've been giving and working your guts out, it's amazing how, how when it's not being done for the right reason, it can have the completely opposite effect to what we think it's going to have. So religion and superstition says, well, the more I give, then surely God's going to owe me. And we can actually become bitter. We can become angry. We can become like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. When our, what Timothy Keller calls damnable good works, don't, don't make God indebted to us. And where we don't get to pull the strings and demand what he does for us. As opposed to serving and giving and sacrificing and doing whatever we were prompted to do out of a relationship that has brought contentment. Guys, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm telling you that sometimes I've done it for the right reasons. Sometimes I've done it for the wrong reasons. The last few years, it has become consistently more for the right reasons. And I'm telling you, it's beautiful. 
there's, 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 a, there's an increasing lightness. There's an increasing contentment that's not based on what appears to be the fruit. What appears to be affirmation or approval or gratitude. I mean, it's, it's great. We all need encouragement. It's, it's a blessing when that comes. But you're not needing that. You are, you are responding to a relationship that you already have. To a relationship that you're confident about. You have, you, you've heard your name called and told that you are loved. So you're, not, so, you're not, so you're not striving like a servant or a slave anymore. You are responding like a son or a daughter. And it just changes the game. The worship team can come on up. We're not quite finished, so don't anyone do anything to the lights. Don't anyone in the traffic team or cafe go anywhere. Just relax. Hold on to your horses, okay? I'm just, I don't want to distract you just now when I call them up. We've got to grab Drayden from the back where he's smoking. We've got to get people from, you know, it's like, let's just, let's just get them all up in one go. I'm joking. He was drinking. See what I mean? This is what happens. Let's just, we'll, we'll just get all this stuff done, done first. See, without contentment, I love what Ronald Rollheiser says, without contentment, we will chase a million things in the pursuit of one thing. We just don't know it. We're chasing a million things in the pursuit of one thing. And that's where prayer can change everything. In that quiet place, in that still place where I actually slow down and I become present enough with Jesus. Now, now there, are, there are scriptures that say, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Or, or, or Jeremiah 29, 11 goes on into 12, verse 12 and 13 where it says, if you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. But, but for the most part, I think that God's waiting, that God's ready, that God's present. I don't think that God is very often the one that has to move. Pray moves me. Prayer, prayer helps me to actually presence myself with God. And it starts to change everything. It starts to, it starts to dispel the darkness of worry. It starts to renew my mind where I start to fix my mind on truths instead of being polluted by all the facts. And it's amazing. Honestly, the most, the single most significant shift in my relationship with God in my adult life has come it began about four years ago and I feel like it really started shifting especially last year to where there's, a, there's just a whole new level of contentment there's so much less striving in my time with God as I, as I just try and connect with Him be present with Him if I say less than I would normally want to say it's okay because I'm actually just spending t- prayers about being present with God and I love how ultimately the fourth and final point is that prayer also helps us to rely on God. Because Paul goes on. He's not, he's not just saying, hey, there's just this empty faith. In fact, in fact, by the way, and we, we talk about this in freedom, by nature, we think that the opposite of fear is faith, right? But actually, the Bible tells us that the opposite of fear is love. The Bible tells us that perfect love drives out all fear. So, 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 the, so again, Think about how close it is to superstitious. If I can just believe enough, if I can just, then I can control it. As opposed to, no, no, if I can, rec- see, we keep thinking if I can just believe enough. God's saying, no, no, if you will just receive enough. If you will just receive love. That's why, that's why we have the great commandment on that wall over there. Because it says, 
Jesus said everything summed up in loving God, loving people, but it goes on to say, and, and I've told you that maybe if we ever replace this, I'm going to make that, that part bigger. But as you, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. And I really do believe, this is my personal conviction, I really do believe that, that what that is referring to is our ability to receive love. I think I can only love someone else to the extent that I'm able to receive love from God. Perfect love drives out all fear. Paul goes on in verse 13 to say, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Why don't you stand up for a moment? Again, don't anybody move. Don't anybody go anywhere. I want you to stand up and and hear this. Okay? I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can tackle this week through Christ who gives me strength. I can be a good dad through Christ who gives me strength. I can reconcile and deal with challenges and deal with conflict through Christ who gives me strength. I can push through those challenges. I can cope with these blessings and opportunities. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And then he goes on, last verse, is verse 19 where he says, and the same God, what a promise. What a promise that the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs. From His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. We think that prayer is about moving God towards me when prayer is actually about moving me towards God. And as I move towards God, I am, those words jump off of a page and eventually they start to take root in my heart where, my God, God, you're my God. You're my God. You love me. You're my God. My God will supply all my needs because you are a good father. You love me. God, point out anything in me that offends you. I want to deal with stuff. I want to deal with anything that gets in the way because I want to be drawn close to you. God, I want to trust you. God, I want to respond to you. God, I want to experience the peace and the contentment and the joy that you have promised and that can only be found in you. And and do you know why? Because I, I really do think that God actually gets glory. When you're experiencing peace that passes understanding, when you are so planted in God that, that the fruit comes out as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. I think somewhere along the line, God actually gets glorified. Where people around you are like, you're not that nice. I know you. There's something different about you. Isn't that, come on. If you love God, I promise you, that's what you want. Some, somewhere along the line, deep down, you want to be so attractive as you, ref, as you are reflective of the one 